I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, having just arrived home from the Emirates Stadium, coming to you live on YouTube. Podcast listeners, um, if you are listening via the audio platforms, please do leave us a review. We are going to get this out to you ASAP as well, uh, which is always uh, always better, isn't it? To get it while it's fresh, uh, to strike while the iron's hot. Uh, big hello to everybody in the live chat because there's lots of you with us already. Hope you're all well. Plenty of you have been waiting in the chat for the live stream to start. So thank you all uh, for your support. I put a post-match video out from Emirates Stadium on the YouTube channel and somebody commented right at the top saying, R.I.P. Harry's voice. And that's exactly what the issue is uh, for me now this evening. Um, lots of work to be getting on with. But um, as you can probably tell, I'm a little bit croaky because I've got to be honest, when Granite Xhaka decided to uh, let one fly from distance and smashed it into that corner, leaving David De Gea helpless, I lost it. I lost it because that game was just a pure roller coaster of emotions. To call it stressful, would be an understatement. There were highs, there were lows, there were moments you were nervous, there were moments where you just couldn't predict what was going to happen next. Um, I thought that there were there were frustrating bits, I thought that there were brilliant, encouraging bits, and it's just really, really kind of difficult, isn't it, after a game like that, to kind of compose yourself, slow down, think about it rationally, and, and come to uh, too many conclusions. As always, we bring you up, uh, you guys, a follow-up show the next day, so we're going to get that out to you, of course, tomorrow morning, where I'll be a little bit calmer, I'm sure, and we'll know the outcome of Spurs' trip to Brentford as well. But um, yeah, let's uh, let's start breaking it down. Turned up at the Emirates today a little bit nervous. Um, I, I'd kind of talked about the fact that I thought that we might win the game uh, going into it. But I guess when I when I sort of started to really think about it on the way there and then, you know, an hour before kickoff when you get that team news come through and I saw that front four of Manchester United, which consisted of Cristiano Ronaldo back in the side, obviously, after the tragedy that he and his family have had to endure. And then, of course, um, we had on the right-hand side, uh, Anthony Alanga to deal with. On the left-hand side, Jadon Sancho. And then, of course, Bruno Fernandes in that hole. I was worried because there was a lot of talk around whether Takahiro Tomiyasu would be available today. Obviously, he came on and made a late cameo appearance. But he wasn't going to, um, he wasn't going to start. I don't think that was ever an option. Uh, so you were still looking at that Arsenal back line with only two of the first-choice four being in that. You know, Cedric playing at right back, Nuno Tavares playing at left back. And I thought what we did against Chelsea the other night was we kind of catered for Nuno Tavares in a way that we didn't cater for him today. We played this sort of back three that's flipped into a back four at certain points with Ben White coming out to right back. But today we didn't do any of that. Today it was let's play with a back four. And I guess, you know, when you look at the run that United have been on and you look at United's form throughout this season and and the issues that they're having at the moment and the, the fact that Ralph Ragnick has really struggled to get a tune out of this Manchester United side, you felt like actually probably taking the game to them was was the right thing to do. It felt like um, the best way to approach the game because you're not going to play the way we played at Stamford Bridge at home against a side that you fancy yourselves against, right? Um, so 
we set up in a slightly different way, but that caused us problems. It really, really did. And that first half, apart from three or four moments, we really were not in control of that game. Um, and we really struggled. And Manchester United were having a lot of joy down their right-hand side, our left-hand side. Now, a lot of people will point to Nuno Tavares solely, but I think actually the way the team was set up didn't really help him. I thought that Granit Xhaka was reluctant to go out to the left-hand side in the way he might have done had Thomas Partey been in the midfield alongside him to help out. I thought Emil Smith-Rowe did a lot of defensive work, but perhaps not as much as I expected or hoped. Um, perhaps I kind of shone a bit of a microscope on Emil Smith-Rowe because of the fact that I didn't feel he offered us a lot going forward today. I thought he was on the edge of the game. Uh, for the most part. And um, and that was obviously a little bit disappointing because it looked like on Wednesday night that he'd sort of found his form and found his mojo again. Um, then you, you move into sort of some of the key moments. Let's talk about the moments and then we'll discuss some individual performances. Um, Arsenal's first goal. Now, it was really well worked. The ball out to Bukayo Saka on the left hand, uh, on the right-hand side, I beg your pardon. They brilliantly to sort of um, drop his shoulder, cut inside, uh, and get a shot off. Good save um, from uh, from David De Gea, and the ball fell to Nuno Tavares. Now, for all the issues that Nuno Tavares can cause you, because he's not very defensive minded, and sometimes I think his com his um, what's the word? His concentration levels dip. That's the kind of unpredictability that he can bring you. You know that ability to kind of just say, "Screw it, I'm going to run. I'm going to make a run." Um, into the box and I'm going to do um, what I feel like doing. I, I keep talking about it all the time with him. You never really know what you're going to get. And and to see him, as I say, sort of taking that risk and being the man that follows in the effort from left back is, is a sort of prime example of what Nuno can give you that a lot of fullbacks won't give you. But obviously, defensively, there are questions that need to be asked. But I thought it was it was really positive, actually, to see him uh, follow that in. And it was his, um, of course, his uh, his first goal for Arsenal um, in the Premier League, which was uh, really, really good to see as well. So we take the lead really, really early on. And you think, well, we've got the upper hand now. But this is a game that you really do need to put to bed because we constantly looked at this, um, you know, this... Um, this Manchester United side, as I've mentioned, and and were worried, I felt at the time anyway, about the quality that they possessed. And I felt like they had a few half chances in the first half. Aaron Ramsdale made a couple of saves. Cristiano Ronaldo put one over the bar. I think it was Dallow that hit one that landed on the top of the crossbar as well. Um, then, of course, there was that penalty shout for Anthony Elanga. What also concerned me a little bit in the first half was that every time Manchester United won a corner, it was a Manchester United head that got on the end of it. Now, fortunately for us, nothing materialised in terms of a goal or, or forcing Aaron Ramsdale into a big save. But it was worrying the way that they were coming out on top in those scenarios. And every time they broke the ball forward, they looked like they could cause us problems. They always looked vulnerable defensively. And I wonder if we were a little bit intimidated by the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, by the likes of Bruno Fernandes and Jadon Sancho and what they could offer and what they can do. Because it felt like at points in the first half, we paid them a little bit too much respect. We sort of sat off at certain um, points when I felt we could have been a little bit more aggressive and almost invited United onto us and gave them control of the game. And as I've always said about this United side, yes, there are shambles defensively. Yes, they've got lots of problems. Yes, the dressing room... Uh, is is anarchy at the moment, but 
they have a lot of individual quality. Um, and for me, that is um, that is something that you've always got to be mindful and wary of. I thought we were slightly fortunate in the first half to get away with what looked uh, like a handball by Cedric inside the penalty area. Uh, Jaden Sancho essentially uh, sort of skilling him up, putting him down on his ass. And as he was trying to crawl and keep up with the player, he just managed to block the ball with his hand. And Manchester United were incensed by that. And I think they had a shout for a penalty there. Now, I thought at the time it looked like a penalty. I've come home and since watched it. And I think, yeah, it, it was. And And so we got the rub of the green in that sense. And sometimes you need that in football. You know, and we haven't had that very much over the last few seasons. I don't think Mikel Arteta's had it all that much. Um, I think that over the course of the season, some are going to go for you. Some are going to go against you. I don't think it always evens out, like some people say. Uh, so to see that big decision sort of go our way, I thought was was very fortunate. And I kind of wiped the sweat away from the top of my brow uh, when I saw that uh, that situation be waved away. I wondered if the VAR was going to get involved in that. I was sort of nervous for a good 30 seconds to a minute after that incident took place, just from fear of the VAR uh, stepping back in and, um, and uh, you know, and, and changing that, that initial call. What I will say is, if you want to look at it the other way, I thought United were lucky to stay with 11 men on the pitch. Some horrible challenges going in um, in various parts of the pitch, but also a lot of persistent fouling from a number of players. And it really irritates me. Persistent fouling irritates me because you see it happen so often. And the referee, I think, sets a precedent by allowing players to get away with two, three, four, when they're clearly very cynical challenges. And, and for me, the minute you allow three or four to go with one player, you then have to leave that same sort of parameter, if you like, or you have to um, you know, adhere to those same standards to be consistent with everybody else. And I hate that because you, I think as a referee and, and people say you shouldn't give cards too early, you shouldn't spoil the game. I think it's the opposite. I think sometimes as a referee, you've got an opportunity to stamp your authority on a game very, very early and make it clear that there are certain things you're not going to put up with. And unfortunately, um, you know, I thought that... Um, you know, I thought that the referee got that wrong in that sense by allowing some of the challenges to go. He started to show yellow cards late on in the game. I think there was a fair few in the last 20 minutes, um, which might have been to do with the game state as well. You know, Arsenal free one up, sort of trying to see the game out, making a few challenges here and there. Manchester United out of frustration, giving away a few silly fouls as well. Before we continue, let me just say a big thank you uh, to Manuel, who has uh, sent us a super sticker, a super chat. Thank you, my friend, for your very, very kind donation in Mexican pesos, I believe. Uh, thank you so much. He sent us two donations. Thank you uh, so, so much, mate. Really, really do um, appreciate it. Uh, just going back to that Cedric thing, Suti says Cedric's handball wasn't a pen as he was falling to the ground and his hand was down to break his fall. By the laws of the game, that's not handball and not a pen. See, by the laws of the game, the whole accidental bit does come into it, right? And I do think it was accidental. I do think that he was uh, going, he got basically put on his ass, ass by um, Jaden Sancho and was trying to recover. But if that was the other way around, I'd be livid. Um, I'd be livid because, okay, he's not meant it, but it's, 
it's something that has prevented the player progressing into a really, really dangerous position. And I think what's driving people mad about this that are not Arsenal fans from the outside world, because I've seen a lot of reaction to this on my way home and listened to a lot of reaction to this, is that actually in the Champions League, the ruling is slightly different in that if your arm is extended, they've kind of taken away the whole accidental element of it. And, and we've seen that sort of implemented in Europe's premier competition over the last few seasons. And I think that inconsistency between the two competitions is probably impacting on how people are reacting to this. Um, I agree with you that it was accidental and I don't think it was an intentional handball, but I've got to be honest, if I were on the other side of that, I'd be absolutely livid. I'd be absolutely fuming. Um, so then obviously Arsenal 1-0 up at that point, as I mentioned, Nuno Tavares with the goal. And then Arsenal, um, I thought, um, you know, I thought we got the uh, the penalty kick. Uh, sorry, I thought we got the goal. I thought that Eddie Nketiah had put the ball in the back of the net and he'd missed a really good chance just before that where he was put through on goal and he sort of fired it straight at David De Gea. And on this instance where he was um, in a slightly offside position in the end, he just took a little bit more time, didn't he? Just managed to compose himself for a split second before finding the corner and the flag didn't go up and we were all celebrating the goal in the stadium and then VAR uh, jumped in. But my view of it at the time was, well, if VAR is going to chalk Enketia off for being offside, then he has to give the penalty because Bukayo Saka has been taken out here. Now, I must admit, obviously, in the stadium, it's incredibly frustrating because you don't really know what's going on. You hear checking possible offside. You don't know who. And there was a part of me that was thinking, well, if it's Nketiah, then it's got to be a penalty for Saka. But if it's Saka that's offside, because again, we don't know who specifically they're looking at, then this could be a big moment and the pendulum could swing off the back of this. And remember, Manchester United were playing quite well at that point in the game as well. Fortunately, we got the penalty and Bukayo Saka steps up. And I'm going to talk about Bukayo Saka uh, in a little bit, in a little bit more detail, because I think he's really sort of shown himself to have matured even more um, of late. But he steps up and he makes no mistake with it. And you think, happy days. You know, Arsenal, two goals to the good against a Manchester, Manchester United side who have huffed and puffed and threatened, but just don't look like uh, they've got any confidence. And you think that, that a 2-0 lead could be the end of them. Up pops Cristiano Ronaldo to make it 2-1, just moments after Arsenal had doubled their lead. And one of the things I came away from really sort of disappointed with off the back of that game at, at Stamford Bridge the other night was how we were switched off after just scoring goals and how we made it so easy for our opponents to sort of drag themselves back into a game that they really had no right uh, sort of being it. And we did it again. It was such a sloppy and poor goal to concede. The ball came out to Manchester United's left. I think it was Sancho. Everybody was backing off of Sancho. He cut it back. Um, to Matic, who, who had time, looked up, delivered it into the far post. And I just wonder, sort of watching it back, if Ramsdale's sort of step out just causes uh, Gabriel to hesitate in dealing with it. He doesn't deal with it. Nuno Tavares doesn't deal with it. Ronaldo pops up in between them. And you give that guy half a yard, you know what the outcome is going to be. And fair play to him um, for playing today. You have to say, look, put football rivalries and football tribalism aside. To see Cristiano Ronaldo back in action so soon after what he and his family have gone through, that takes mental strength of the highest order. Um, and, and what a professional he is. And again, you know, 
he impacted the game for Manchester United, but they just weren't good enough uh, overall as a team to sort of make Arsenal pay for their lapses and, and give him a chance of ending up on the winning side. So they peg us back 2-1 and we go in at halftime. And again, you don't really know which way this game is going to go and you're stressed and you're worried. And there were question marks about whether Mikel would make any changes at halftime. We saw Tommy Asu really step up his warm-up at the back end of the first half. And then during halftime, he spent the entirety of it in the middle of the pitch with a coach being put through his paces. And I was really confident, actually, that Mikel Arteta was going to bring him on at that point. Now, Cedric had just had a couple of moments just before the break where he'd given the ball away. He'd been a bit sloppy. There was that one situation where the ball came across the Arsenal goal. It came to Cedric, who was sort of filling in, and um, and he panicked and he put it out for a corner when there was nobody within the vicinity of him in a Manchester United shirt. And the crowd got on his back and I felt like, come on, guys, like that, that's not helping. But I guess in that situation, you know, Cedric, yeah, a little bit more composure wouldn't go amiss, but he's got to be told by his goalkeeper there that he's got time. He's got to be told by someone facing the rest of the pitch that actually he's got the opportunity to control this and deal with this situation. And it doesn't feel like he got any call from me because um, I'm right behind that goal. So it didn't feel like he um, he got uh, the shout there and he panicked. And there were just a few of those moments at the back end of the first half. And I thought that the change might be made, but Mikel didn't make it. And I actually thought we started the second half much better. We looked a lot more composed. We had a bit more of the ball. We needed to get on the front foot more because you looked at that Manchester United team and, and in an attacking sense, there was lots and lots of talent, lots of individual brilliance. But from a defensive point of view, they were at sixes and sevens. They were all over the place. They were so bad that you almost felt like not going for the throat was, was a silly approach here. But obviously, Arsenal were inexperienced. Arsenal would have been caught in two minds. I really do believe that. And that contributed to that bit of uncertainty sort of in the defensive third. We gave the ball away stupidly. Nuno Tavares uh, was involved in a bit of that as well. Um, you know, Mohamed Elneny and Granit Xhaka being exposed at times and having to take on runners who were coming from deeper midfield positions as well as marking their own sort of players. And it just got a little bit messy and a little bit worrying uh, up until, of course, Granit Xhaka scored that goal. What a goal it was. I mean, the ball comes to him. He shifts it out of his boots. Um, how many times have we seen him do that? Get the ball, take a touch, set himself and then smash it up into the top corner of the stand. And instead, he just caught it so sweetly back across uh, David De Gea, who was complaining that he was his view was blocked. And Eddie Nketiah, I think, was standing in an offside position. But having seen it back, I'm not sure that you can categorically say that he influenced David De Gea, who I just thought um, didn't expect it didn't expect to get be going down to his left there so quickly and having to make a save. Um, and he just got beat by the power of the shot, by the venom um, in the shot. And, you know, for of all the people to pop up and score that goal, if you'd have asked me to pick one, I'd have picked Granite Xhaka. His relationship with the fans at the Emirates has been very difficult in, in years gone by. I thought he spoke brilliantly, openly and candidly in that recent interview about how he still feels playing at home sometimes. So to see him come up with such a crucial goal, because ultimately that killed off Manchester United. And it sort of breathed a, a new confidence into the rest of the team. Players who had been sort of out on their feet, who looked fatigued, who were struggling, who were not 
at the top of their game, all of a sudden had that extra yard and had that extra bit of confidence and that extra bit of composure because that goal ultimately, as I say, um, killed off Manchester United. So big goal, come up with it at big time. And that could be huge in the context of our season. So I'm delighted for Granit Xhaka. And obviously I'm delighted with the goal. Now, if you haven't seen um, on my Twitter, uh, you might have seen a picture of me <laughs> doing the rounds. I was caught on the on the cameras in the background. Um, there you go. Top left. You can spot me there. <laughs> in the moment after the, the Granit Xhaka shot. Um, unbelievable. A lot of people think this was the Tavares goal. Uh, but it wasn't because I wasn't at that end of the stadium. I was in the North Bank. So this this image captures Tavares um, and it captures him sort of um, jogging over. But this is actually after the Granite Jack goal. So you can see me top left there, um, absolutely losing my mind because I, I never felt comfortable for, throughout the game. I always felt worried. I always felt concerned. And then when you get a goal like that um, and, and you know that that goal is going to be enough to kill off an opponent who's kind of sparring with you but hasn't really delivered a knockout punch yet you, you you sort of release this relief and that's what that is it's relief coming out at the fact that you know despite it not being our best performance and it wasn't today you know at, at points it was actually quite bad um despite us I think at times uh, getting sort of um you know overrun in, in certain areas of the pitch um, maybe there were question marks around some of the tactical side of the game. Did we quite get that right or nail it, given the players we had available to us? When you think about all of those things and the fact that we managed to get that third goal, which ultimately secured the win, then you can understand why people celebrated it the way they did, because it's massive. It's huge. And um, obviously, we're recording this before the Tottenham game, and I don't expect them to drop points at Brentford, but... Um, you know, it, it puts them under pressure, doesn't it? it? It really, really does. Okay, so let's go through some of the individual performances and let's take some of your thoughts and comments uh, in the remainder of the show. But before we do that, um, I just want to draw you guys' attention uh, to our good friends and partners over at Football Prizes who are currently running uh, a competition uh, where you can win an Emil Smith-Rowe signed and framed Arsenal shirt. Now, the link uh, to enter, the link to buy your ticket is in the description below. The tickets are £2.95 each. There's 199 of them available. And the competition ends on Thursday, 28th of April at 7.30pm. However, there are only 39 tickets remaining. So if you are interested in this, get involved in it A. SAP. You can also win uh, one of the instant prizes as well. Uh, Tony Adams signed Arsenal Mount, Alexander Lacazette signed Arsenal Montage. Um, you could get uh, vouchers for the Arsenal and, of course, credit for football prizes. So uh, a real opportunity there uh, to win. Uh, right, let's take a short pause and then we're going to go through some of the individual performances and break them down. Okay, uh, let's uh, get down to some of the individual performances. Let's start with Aaron Ramsdale. Hmm. Aaron Ramsdale, what to make of his performance today? Look, he made a few good saves. Um, there, was, there was a couple in the first half, the one-on-one the -on -one with Alanga. There was one at his near post I thought he did quite well for as well. And he made a good stop in the second half where he sort of, I think he clipped it onto the post. Again, at his near post. Um 
So Aaron Ramsdale's performance was was good in some aspects, but I, I thought he looked a little bit nervy at certain points. I think he has looked a little bit nervy um, in recent weeks. I think that his distribution hasn't been as good. And is that to do with confidence? Yeah, maybe. I think a lot of people are concerned about Aaron Ramsdale. And as I mentioned, if I was going to kind of be really critical, I was a little bit critical of the way, or I would be a little bit critical of the way that he sort of half came out to deal with um, the cross that came in for Cristiano Ronaldo without, um, you know, without actually committing. And then I think that that caused, I'm not going to say caused, actually, that's maybe a little bit unfair. Let's say it contributed to a bit of confusion between Tavares um, and, of course, Gabriel. So I didn't think it was Aaron Ramsdale's greatest performance. But I tell you what, in the long run, I do think that him being pegged back uh, a notch or two or, or being brought down to earth, not to the detriment of the team, not where it costs us, but where it kind of threatens to cost us, I think kind of sometimes is needed to ground him because I think he's someone who can get a little bit carried away and a little bit caught up in the energy and emotion of it all and then start to think that he's Superman and can do things that actually he isn't at the level to do or or will take risks that perhaps he shouldn't take. So sometimes with a player like that, you need a moment or a couple of games or, or a little bit of grounding. You need to you need something that maybe I'm not going to say knocks your confidence, but resets you a bit again and, and brings you back down to earth. And I think Aaron Ramsdale can get carried away with all of that stuff. And and actually, um, maybe in the long run, this will do him, do him good, but um, not his greatest performance. But obviously, as I say, made a few decent saves. Moving on to right back, Cedric, for the most part, was okay. But again, as I mentioned, there were a couple of moments, particularly at the end of the first half, where he looked a little bit shaky. I thought he got better in the second half and obviously looked um, even better when we slightly changed the shape as well when um, when Rob Holding came on. Uh, so fair play. But yeah, um, you know, Cedric is Cedric. I think we all know what his level is. I think we all know what his limitations are. Um and I think that, you know, we're asking an awful lot of him to play there week in, week out and do the things that we want to do. And when you think about the way that Mikel Arteta is asking this team to play football, I think that Cedric isn't necessarily somebody that fits into that. I think it also changes us tactically having him in the side because it was so often the case that Tomiyasu would tuck in um, into a slightly more central position. And that would then mean that the left back, whether that be Tierney or Tavares in this case, could get forward a lot more and could get forward without being so concerned about what was left behind him because we'd shift into that back three. So Cedric coming in, it's it's not the perfect fit. And I think that there were just a couple of moments where he looked a bit shaky in that first half, especially. There were some in the second half as well. But I, I, I don't really want to beat up players who, who have just won a game, a big, big game for us. Um, but yeah, he... We all know what Cedric is and, and we all know what his level is. And, and I don't wish to kind of sit there and sort of tear apart Cedric. But I do think the differences in terms of his profile and Tommy Asu's profile um, do impact on the rest of the back line. And that's why we've got that uncertainty at the back now, because that was one of the things that people have said we've got better at defensively. And we have. But without Tommy Asu and without the left back, it does look very, very different. It's a very, very different proposition. A uh, big thank you to Marshall B, who's just signed up to become a member of the channel as well. Thank you so, so much, mate. If you um, 
if you do want to uh, become a member and support the channel and support me in making you guys more and more Arsenal and football related content, you can click on the link in the description. Or if you're watching via your PC, you can click the join button here on YouTube. Thank you. OK, um, let's um, let's move into the centre of the defence. Ben White looked fairly composed for me um, for the most part. I think it was Gabriel of the two centre-backs that looked a little bit suspect again today. And Gabriel is, is like this, isn't he? He's very hit and miss. He's very up and down. You know, I thought at Chelsea, he was sensational. Looked back to the Gabriel that we all know he can be. But then again, I thought he reverted back to that sort of uncertain, um, a little bit rash at times, Gabriel, who maybe doesn't always make the right decisions. Look, again, don't wish to dig out players when we've won a game of football, but... Um, there were concerns about his performance at certain points. I, I don't think it helps, though, um, when Gabriel is playing against Nuno Tavares, who doesn't give us any real defensive security. But moving on to the Portuguese uh, defender, as I said, gives you unpredictability um, going forward and gives you something that very few fullbacks would give you in the sense that he's the guy that follows up shots in the penalty area. Had a couple of other moments, didn't he, where he carried the ball out and bought us a bit of time, just like he did against Chelsea. Also, there was that moment in the second half where he did brilliantly to check back inside after the ball was worked out to him on the edge of United's box. And then that lack of composure just kicks in and he just smashes his right foot in it and it goes way over the top of the bar. But with with Tavares, look, he's, he's got a lot of raw qualities in terms of his physicality, his pace. I, I like his bravery. I really, really do. But um, he uh, defensively, he's got a hell of a lot to learn, hasn't he? He's just... From a defensive standpoint, he's he's not on the same level, on the same planet as um as uh, Kieran Tierney, and and that's the reality of it. But unfortunately, Kieran Tierney's not available, and we've got to make do with what we got to do, um, and and that's it. You know, I I don't feel comfortable watching Nuno Tavares from a defensive point, um, and I think it's even worse when we have Cedric at right back. I think that, as I say, when Tommy Asu comes back in, that will change slightly i think it will improve slightly in that tommy asu shuffling across gives us that little bit more stability and then that creates the platform for nuno to step a little bit further forward um and and that's where he's better he obviously gave away the penalty as well um it, it felt like at, like so while you're watching the game like he was doing his best to ruin um what had been a great start to the game for him um Unfortunately for us, the penalty was missed. I, I didn't even mention that, did I, when I was talking about uh, the sort of the key moments in the game? But that was huge because if Manchester United level it at that point, if Manchester United get back to 2 2, then you really wonder what would have happened to this young group. Would they have crumbled? Would they have been able to pick themselves up again and go again? I don't think so. I think had Manchester United equalised at that point, the best we could have hoped for was a draw. And we might not have even got that because they were so in control at that point and they were so dominant and we were constantly under pressure. But Bruno Fernandes, who whinges, moans, cries and does very little else on a football pitch nowadays other than normally score penalties, which today he didn't manage, um, stepped up and, and made a right pig's ear of it. And he also probably should have got sent off a little bit later on in the game as well because I thought one of the challenges that he made um, was, was horrible. And... Um, and really summed up his afternoon, to be honest. Moving on with the players, let's go with Mohamed Elneny. Again, sensational. Steady Eddie in the middle of the park, who does exactly what it says on the tin. Nothing spectacular, nothing brilliant. 
um, but just gives you stability, gives you security. And although he gave the ball away a couple of times sloppily, I just think he's so reliable in the middle of the park. And, you know, does that impact you in that you're not as progressive maybe as you might be from midfield to the forward line with him in there? Yeah, perhaps. But as far as squad players go and as far as coming in and plugging holes go, he does an excellent job of that. And you've got to give him uh, praise for his performance again today. I called him the Egyptian Pirlo in the preview. And I'll tell you what, when Arsenal were sort of on top in the last sort of 10 minutes or so of the game and they were starting to knock the ball about with a lot more confidence, he was starting to look like the Egyptian Pirlo there, wasn't he? Uh, moving on, um, Granit Xhaka, for me personally today, man of the match. Man of the match. Not just for the goal. He was just so good in the middle of the park, so secure, very good in possession, uh, plugged all the right spaces, constantly communicating with the rest of the team, um, constantly sort of urging people to keep their heads, urging caution um, when it needed to be urged. He, he just was brilliant for me. And he was brilliant at Chelsea the other night as well. And when he steps up and scores a goal like that, how on earth um, can you not... Um, you know, can you not look at him as man of the match? How on earth can you look beyond him when trying to identify who that might be today? I thought he was sensational um, and another brilliant performance from him. And listen, we heard a lot, didn't we, um, over the years about Thierry Henry's views on Granite Xhaka. If you remember, Patrice Evra uh, spoke about Thierry Henry, um, you know, never sort of wanting to watch him and saying that, you know, I don't want to watch my team while this guy's the captain. Well, Thierry Henry was in the crowd today. Thierry Henry was watching on. And uh, for Granite Xhaka to step up and score that goal, I think must have been pretty damn satisfying uh, for him. Everybody knew Henry was in the stadium because the chant started ringing out around the Emirates Stadium. But uh, Granite Xhaka, if I were Granite Xhaka, I'd have given Thierry a little wink there um, just to um, just to say hello. But yeah, brilliant, uh, brilliant stuff that. And then we move on to Martin Odegaard, who, again, worked so damn hard, man. This guy just covers so much ground. He's so aggressive all the time. He presses, he harries, he hassles, he's secure with the ball at his feet, always drops into that inside right position um, and combines with Bukayo Saka and goes out there and helps him out and joins up there and, and then drifts back in field and can switch the play, etc. Again, superb. You know, he's a real leader. Really enjoying watching him, and uh, really watching it. Uh, really enjoying watching him grow as well. Um, so yeah, Martin Odegaard, uh, superb as well. Onto the right, Bukayo Saka again. You know, we talked about him earlier on. Uh, really stepping up um, when it needed to be done, popping up with the penalty and and sticking it away without any mistakes. But he's just matured so much, hasn't he? Um, you know, he's he's turned into a man. Because he's got that little bit of edge about him as well now, which is just something different. You know, like he's got that little bit of needle. He scored that goal um, at Stamford Bridge the other night. And you could see in the celebration what it meant to him. And you could see in the way he got involved with Cesar Azpilicueta as well, that he feels now that he's earned the right to be respected. And that he's not like some kid that's living the dream anymore, who's turned up and has to just be grateful for being there. No, Bukayo Saka is a man. And he's a top, top player. And you can really see that in his game now. I love the way when he receives the ball out wide, he sort of just puts his foot on it and almost stops. And defenders are shit scared of like committing to him because they know he's got that little jink of sort of speed and pace right or left. And he can leave you uh, in the click of a finger. He's, he's a superb player. Um, 
He really, really is. And he's he's coming of age. Now, he, he did go off with what looked like an injury problem. Mikel Arteta said in his post-match press conference that Bukayo Saka had a knock from Wednesday and was a doubt um, going into this game. So it was no surprise to see him hooked off at the first kind of sign of trouble. Um, and, and that was the, the uh, substitution that saw Rob Holding come on and us tighten up to that back five and then see the game out successfully. On the other side, Emil Smith-Rowe, I, I didn't think was great today. i got to be honest. Um, he's the one player that I was looking at in that first half and thinking, you know, OK, there's been others whose level hasn't been where we want it to be. But at the very least, they're, they're sort of working and they're doing this and they're doing that and they're involved and they're contributing in some way, shape or form. I never felt that Emil Smith-Rowe really contributed, not really enough defensively in terms of helping out Nuno Tavares on that left-hand side and not really enough offensively either. I didn't think he gave us anything in that sense. But um, yeah, you know, maybe he's not 100%. I don't know. I watched him the other night at Stamford Bridge and felt like he had his mojo back again. And then so to see him be a little bit on the outside of things was was a little bit disappointing. But listen, you're not going to get 10 out of 10s from everyone every week. And then Eddie and Ketia again, I thought, gave a really, really good account of himself. I mentioned earlier that he should have tucked away that chance and was a little bit unfortunate to have his goal chalked off. But he put in a real shift. He worked. He stretched the Manchester United back line when possible. He dropped into deep positions sometimes as well and helped out in the build-up play. And, and he gave another excellent account of himself. And I'll tell you what, Eddie might not be an Arsenal player next season. But if he can keep this form up, there'll be no shortage of suitors sort of uh, knocking on his door. Uh, in the summer because um, he's playing at a really, really high level. I know it's a small sample size and we've got to be mindful and wary of that. But sometimes sort of hitting form at the right time when you're going to be a free agent can um, can be exactly what you need. And I feel like Eddie is probably at that point. Uh, OK, before we take a few of your questions, because uh, I am going to jump off and watch the uh, Tottenham game, but we will take sort of 10 minutes worth of questions. Please do hit that like button. There are over 400 of you with us live on YouTube right now, but we've only got 99 likes on the board. We should at least be on 150. So let's um, let's hit that like button. It really, really does help. Get your questions in as well. We're going to take a short pause and then we're going to take some of those. Okay, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna for our final part of the show. Breaking down Arsenal's 3-1 victory over Manchester United. We're going to do a little bit more on the tactical side or anything else that I decide or I think over the next few hours is worthwhile breaking down and discussing. Uh, but we will do a little bit more of a deep dive into the game tomorrow, as we always do the next day when the dust is settled. And I've had a chance to watch the whole game back. Uh, but let's see what you guys are saying. Big hello to Ayoku, who joins us from Canada. He says our wins against Chelsea and Manchester United make the three losses before that much more painful. See, I agree with this because you look at it, don't you? And you go, oh man, if only, if only we could have taken um, even three points from one of those games that we had, you know, one of those three games that we lost. I totally get that. But listen, there's no point crying over spilt milk. You can't go back and change that. All you can do is look to put it right moving forward. And what I would say is this, is although losing those games was was really difficult to take and it it damages our position and it makes it much more difficult for us to finish in the top four. What you have to say is this. Getting victories against the likes of Chelsea and Manchester United 
can really sort of mentally give you a boost in the way that victories over Brighton, Southampton, for example, just simply doesn't. And, I, and I'm not excusing the fact that we didn't win those games and I, I'm not sort of trying to say that it's okay. All I'm trying to say is that sometimes when you you face adversity and you bounce back against big sides, that can have more of a, an influence sort of mentally and in the confidence of a group. And I think it's imperative that at this point in the season that we're, we're in a good mindset. For example, um, we could have... Um, we could have beaten Southampton and Brighton and lost to Man United and Chelsea and we'd be on the same points. But the mental victory that you get in those games in comparison um, to what you get against the Chelsea and the Man United, I think is different. And I think we need that momentum going into the end um, of the season. Uh, let's uh, let's take some of yours. I've got to answer this because a few of you have been asking it. Moss says, what are the points of those super short pauses, Harry? So uh, the, the purpose of those is that if you listen via the podcast version, um, we do have a sponsor who inserts uh, short ads in the show. And by putting those pauses in, it means that they don't just get chucked randomly in to the middle of me making a point and instead... Uh, there's somewhere to slot them in. So that's the reason. If you're a YouTube viewer, you won't feel it. You won't notice it. It, it will make no difference to you. But uh, for the audio listeners, um, that the, then pauses are so that they don't get cut off and sent over to an ad in the middle of uh, some engaging conversation. Uh, let's see what else we've got. A uh, big thank you to Inny for his very kind super chat donation. Thank you, mate. Absolute legend. He says, Harry, what would you have done differently in those first 25 minutes of the second half? I would have taken the game to Manchester United. I didn't think we were aggressive enough at times. I thought that we were a little bit um, nervous, a little bit m sort of wary of, of the quality that they have in attack. And I understand that. Um, you know, you look at those names on paper, they're, they're daunting. But I think we needed to believe in ourselves a little bit more that we could go and score again. Because we, every time we did get forward, which wasn't very often in the first half, we looked a threat. Um but in the second half, I felt like we showed them a little bit too much respect and perhaps we weren't aggressive enough in terms of taking the game to them in order to pin them back. There was always that worry and there was always that concern about the quality that they had up, up top. Paid them a little bit too much respect at times, I felt. Um, so that would be my sort of um, my sort of view on it. Adam Daniel says, Jesus as our main striker. Well, uh, if today's performance from Gabriel Jesus wasn't a, come on, Mikel, come and get me, please. Uh, then I don't know what it was. But um, yeah, really good performance from him today and a player that I quite like. And as you guys will remember, um, last month, I think it was the end of last month, when myself and Mike Stavrou had a chat about how we might spend Arsenal's transfer budget if we were in charge. He brought up Gabriel Jesus, made some really, really good points about him. Uh, Sooty FM says, Harry, how far are you from tying your hair back into a ponytail? I was a lot closer and then I cut it and I regretted it. But not too far like it goes right to the back of my head and down to sort of around about here it's getting there man it's getting there there won't be any ponytails but there will be a slick back <laughs> um let's see uh what else we've got in terms of your questions uh bino k biggie have i said that right apologies if i butchered it, it says hi harry Arteta said we had four or five knocks before this game and he was lucky those players were available do you feel we might suffer more injuries or can we cope with our current squad listen i, I I think that, you know, injuries are always a risk. And I think the way that Mikel Arteta wants his team to play always means that there's a, a chance that 
um, we're going to pick up more than maybe other sides. But what I would say, my friend, is this. When I don't think we're going to face, you know, obviously we've got the Spurs game, which is midweek, but for the most part now, it's a game a week. And obviously there's more recovery time. And I think that reduces, like, I think a lot of the problems that we had going into the game today were largely because we didn't have much recovery time between Wednesday and, and this game. Perhaps if we were playing on Sunday afternoon at 4pm, there might have been a bit of time for players to shake some of those injuries and, and problems off. Um, that's a really difficult sort of uh, run of fixtures that we've just come through. And then obviously we've got that midweek where the Spurs game is sandwiched in there as well. But I think that hopefully uh, the fact that some of the games are a little bit more spread out now will help uh, on that sense. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Odradek says, uh, so Harry, do you think the fans finally forgave Xhaka for what he did? Do you think he'll stay next season? I do think he'll stay. I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, I don't think he's going anywhere. I really, really don't. Um, do I think the fans have forgiven him? I think the fans loved that moment today. I don't think I don't think everybody will forgive him because I think there were some people that are just so reluctant to let go of that incident. It drives me crazy. Like, yeah, it was bad. Yeah, it was wrong. And he shouldn't have reacted in the way he did. But I think once you understand the context around it, you can, if not forgive it, understand it to a degree. And um, and I thought it was great that he was the man that popped up with the big, big goal today. Um, so, yeah, uh, I don't think he's forgiven. And I think that some people have been so critical of Granite Xhaka that they can't possibly now give him praise without looking like hypocrites or flip-flops. And people are fearful of, of that, aren't they? It's as if people can't change their minds anymore um, based on the evidence in front of them. So I think the people that have been super critical of Granite will never get past that. Uh, and never get past that incident. Mark says, first time watching, but listen to the podcast regularly. Welcome to the live stream, mate. Uh, really appreciate it. This is a good win for us today. Um, Steve says, I watched via TV today and it came over extremely quiet. Phone my son who went and he said the atmosphere was good. What is your honest opinion, please? I think overall it was good. I think there were moments where the crowd were nervous and you could feel that. And I think that that was being transmitted. And I think that actually Mikel Arteta felt that as well, because there were a few occasions where he turned around and sort of waved his arms up to get the crowd up on their feet and and sort of singing and, and getting behind the team. So I think he felt that as well. Um, I think it was nervousness. You know, it wasn't the crowd not being behind the team. It was just, it was such a difficult game to kind of, you know, not feel nervous about or or a difficult game to consume in that it was so nerve-wracking all the bloody time um, that it just naturally just leads to you kind of standing there sort of biting your nails quietly, doesn't it? Um, Said Abdullah, thank you so much for your uh, kind Super Chat donation, mate. Really, really appreciate it. it. says, Ramsdale's been shocking since the Crystal Palace game and I'm not sure enough people are talking about it. I think a lot of people are talking about it, Said. I, I think it's... Um, it's, it's a subject well worth debating. Maybe we'll talk about it in the week. We'll talk about maybe the reasons why his form might have dipped slightly and, and what the problems are that we're having um, with him at the moment. But, you know, I don't think he was at fault. Mm, well, I said that maybe his stepping out and, and not following through with it maybe contributed to the confusion in the goal. But other than that, you know, he didn't make any big mistakes and I thought he made a few decent saves. So I don't really want to make too much of a big deal out of it, but I do agree that he's not the same Ramsdale that we saw prior to the injury, for example. Um, but what the reason is for that, I don't know. Maybe we'll try and uh, get down and, um, and um, you know, 
maybe we'll try and get into it, I should say, and, and break it down a little bit more um, over the next few days. Uh, Henry Kuna says, Harry, you're murder. I don't live in Bethnal Green anymore. I'm in Brentwood, an Essex boy now. Give me a chance to get home. I'm sorry, mate. I thought I took ages to get home as well because I was sort of messing around after the game. Um, stopped off and, and got um, some shopping um, as well. And uh, yeah, but clearly I still got home before you. <laughs> uh, Adam says, we saw you on TV, Harry. Mate, my phone has been buzzing ever since we started this. And it's probably all people sending me that picture of me looking like an absolute hooligan. I think I might post something later. Pictures of me working yesterday and put professional and then unprofessional with me sort of losing my shit in the North Bank. <laughs> um, I'm going to take one more. Um, before we uh, we jump off, because the uh, Tottenham game is uh, is going to kick off in around about 10 minutes' time. And obviously, that's a big, big game for us. Uh, Saurabh says, hello, Harry. Greetings. Need Tomiyasu back in the starting 11 ASAP. Cedric and Nuno, both in the team, reduces our technical level. Yeah, I, I, I do think that. But I think that th this is the reason why. I know a lot of you earlier in the chat when I was talking about Cedric were going, oh, my God. Why don't you want to criticise Cedric? Oh, my God. Why don't you want to lay into Cedric? Oh, my God. Why are you pretending that Cedric isn't that bad? Because I think overall, I think that Cedric has been a decent deputy. Like, he's not great. We all know what his limitations are. But I don't think in this period where he's been filling in, he's been a disaster. And I don't think it's fair to label him as that. Because he has had to come in and do a job that we all knew he wasn't really up for. And he's been performing at something close to his maximum in a lot of these games. And whether you rate him or not, when you see a player sort of hitting that level in terms of what they as an individual are capable of so regularly, you have to give him praise. And it's not due to a lack of application that he's not at the level that maybe some of us want him to be. So that's why I'm, um, I'm not willing to sort of really stick the boot in. We know he's not the one. We know that Tommy Asu will be back. And, um, and we look forward to seeing him come back into the side. Um, T says, um, Harry, thank you for your excellent analysis and insight by Father Great's Arsenal channel around. Thank you so, so much. Uh, and he also says, take care and enjoy Easter. Yes, because it is the Orthodox Easter this weekend. I went to church last night. That must be why Arsenal, um, why Arsenal won. And a mate of mine, a very close mate of mine, was actually at church on Wednesday night when we were playing Chelsea. And I was at Stamford Bridge and he was at church. So we decided that the only way that we're going to keep winning games is if he goes to church and I go to football. So that's the way we're going to do it. And this morning he went to church and, I, and he went to the football afterwards, but he went to church first and I was at the football and uh, and we got the results. So maybe we've, we're onto something here. Uh, but yeah, a happy Easter. Um, to all my fellow Greeks and Orthodox Christians as well out there who are celebrating this weekend. Um, enjoy your barbecues tomorrow. Um, enjoy your celebrations late into the night tonight, whatever it is that you're doing. And um, yeah, wishing you all the best. I'll catch you all uh, a little bit later on. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Come on, Brentford. Uh, hopefully you can get a result for us. If not, look, it's not the end of the world. We've done our job. We kept the pressure on Tottenham. It's not a game on paper that I expect them to lose. But if they do drop something, it will be a bonus. But um, yeah, we move. I'll catch you all soon. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.